This is Psalms the Guide, Season 2, Episode 8. Let's have a feast, Part 2. You can find the show notes for this episode at www.psalmstheguide.com. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Matthew chapter 22, verse 2, English Standard Version. Welcome back to the Psalms to God podcast. This is your host, Ree, and I am continuing our study on the feast days. Now, we could have taken a break here and talked about COVID-19 or the coronavirus, but personally, I am really sick of hearing about it. It's all they talk about on the news. It's all people are talking about on social media. Every time I talk to somebody, that's what they're talking about, um, People are sending me update messages about whatever they've heard or so-and-so's friend who has a brother who is close to the CDC or is a doctor in a different country said blah, 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 blah. And um, for me personally, that is more suffocating than the whole shelter in place idea or the idea of not being able to go here or there or the idea that they're going to close stuff. Um, it's just this one-track mindedness, and um, personally, I would say that that is a fear tactic to make sure that people are obsessed about it and obsessed over it, um, which is why I don't really want to talk about it today. Um, however, I recognize that the way I feel and the way I think and process things is not the same way that everybody thinks and processes things. So, if you would like to hear an episode on COVID nineteen and how it relates, I guess, to biblical prophecy or how we as Christians should be handling it or you just want to hear some reassuring words, um, let me know in the comment section, on the website, on Instagram, in person if you actually know me, and I will do an episode on that. But if you guys don't want to hear about it, then I definitely don't want to talk about it. So for today, we're going to keep talking about the feast days and then we'll reassess this whole COVID-19 thing once I see what you guys say. So today we're going to talk about the next three feasts that were described by God to the Jews in the Old Testament. And so we'll be talking about the Feast of Weeks, which is also known as Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets, and the Day of Atonement. So starting off with the Feast of Weeks, I think that this is probably the most commonly known feast amongst Christians because well, most people call it Pentecost. Um, it's something that is talked about in the Christian church often. People always mention Pentecost. I'm not necessarily sure if people know what it is they're mentioning when they say Pentecost. I can honestly tell you that when I was younger, when I was in my you know early 20s, late teens, if you had said Pentecost, I would have nodded and gone along with you because I knew what the word was. I mean, I knew that that was a Christian term. But I probably would not have been able to, off the top of my head, associate it with 
um, what it represented. I may have been able to get to the fact that the disciples received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Maybe if you caught me on a good day, um, I might still have not fully understood that. But I think it's important to place these feasts in context and to understand what they represented because they weren't just I mean there's so much in there there's spiritual meaning there's prophetic meaning there is like symbolism of what God did historically and that's very beautiful when it's tied together and it also reminds me personally that when God wants us to do something when he wants us to carry out a particular celebration or a particular feast that has some sort of significant meaning to him and to his people, he lays it out in plain English or Hebrew, if you will. Um, he gives it in black and white, like how it's supposed to go, when it's supposed to go. It's all written here. There's no guesswork. You don't have to guess what day it was supposed to be. You don't have to guess how you were supposed to celebrate it, what you were supposed to do. It's all recorded. So the Feast of um weeks or pentecost it is discussed in leviticus chapter 23 starting at verse 15 um and i think it goes on through verse 22 and the feast of weeks was set to happen exactly seven weeks after the feast of first fruits or after they gave the wave sheaf offering so basically the last feast I talked about in the last episode, the Feast of First Fruits, on that day after you would count seven Sabbaths. And so then you would have Pentecost. So it was basically 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits. I'm guessing that's why they called it the Feast of Weeks, because there were seven weeks in between the two feasts. So basically, what would happen is they would bring two loaves of bread um, and it was supposed to be made with fine flour. This time they were actually able to put leaven in it and it was called the first fruits of the Lord once again. Um, and they were supposed to offer that bread with seven lambs from their first year. Of course, these were supposed to be without blemish. They were supposed to also offer one young bull and two rams which were a burnt offering for the lord along with their grain offerings and um they were also supposed to sacrifice a goat two male lambs and this was supposed to be for a peace offering and then this was waved by the priest before god um and there was also supposed to be a holy convocation once again, this was supposed to be kept as a Sabbath, so they were not supposed to do any work on it. And um, that was basically the gist of the holiday. Um, one thing that I will point out, even though I, I don't necessarily know if this is super important for the discussion we're having, but I want to point it out because I love pointing this out, is that they are celebrating harvest part of this is a, still a celebration of the harvest and of um the things that god has given them and after god tells them what to do he reminds them that when they reap 
from their field, they're supposed to leave the edges of the field um, full. They're not supposed to glean the entire thing. Like if you had a bush with berries on it, don't pick every single berry on it, leave some. And what was left was supposed to be for the poor or the strangers, otherwise known as the foreigners or the non-residents um, that were living there. And so God was always setting a precedence for those who were less fortunate, for those without. And they were supposed to be leaving um, these things behind. It also helps with greed. Don't be greedy. You know, um, just little things like that. And I think, I mean, I do think it's significant as we talk about what this represented both for the Israelites as well as spiritually and prophetically. I think you'll also see why it's important that God also tacked on this information about leaving things for the poor. So if you remember, Pentecost in the New Testament is when we receive the Holy Spirit, right? All of the disciples, they were in the upper room and the Holy Spirit came upon them and that was great, right? Like all of a sudden, you're, you're for real a changed person. This is like the real baptism where now the Holy Spirit is indwelling in you and all of these um, fruits and gifts that the Holy Spirit bestows upon us are now realized, which is exciting. And, um, you know, we, we even talk about that in the Christian church because we understand that that's important. What gets lost is the significance of that. And so let's backtrack. Well, not really sure how to tie this together, but let's, let's just go with it, okay? So in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33, there's a verse that is also referenced in Hebrews, in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16. And it talks about how God is going to create a new covenant with his people. And in this covenant, he is going to write his law in the mind and in the heart of his people. And that's essentially what happened in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came upon them. Suddenly, it wasn't just, oh, I know this because it's written in stone or they've told me. It is the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you. And the Holy Spirit now has the power to convict you and to show you what's right and to show you what's wrong. And now, um, even if you don't know this, even if somebody has not told you that this is right or this is wrong, the Holy Spirit is guiding you. And I personally have had this experience in my growth where there are certain things that I felt were weird or I felt were wrong and I would question it and people couldn't answer me. But then as I studied it, I would find out like, oh, wow, like th this is discussed in the Bible or I would find in history where this pagan tradition had crept into the church and it wasn't of God. And I would never have known that on my own. It's the Holy Spirit dwelling in me giving me that connection or that conviction because God wrote the law in my heart. Now, why is that important to the Israelites? Because it is generally accepted and agreed upon that the day of Pentecost is also the day that Moses went up onto Mount Sinai and received the Ten Commandments from God, which were written in stone. So it represents the first covenant and the second covenant. Um, the reason people generally think that that's what happened is obvious. I mean, obviously when you say it like that, it's like, oh, that makes sense. It seems very obvious. Um, and then 
when you read through the bible and you see when moses goes up it mentions that it's the third month this feast was in the third month so it just kind of ties together and makes logical sense that that's what this is representing so like i said a lot of prophetic things a lot of spiritual things a lot of historical things all tied into this feast that's important for us to understand when we talk about it so now we can go on to the feast of trumpets now before i go in i just want to apologize for the hum that you probably hear in the background a couple of people have asked me about it that is my air conditioner um, it is very loud and I would cut it off. I used to try to cut it off when I was recording. However, I live in South Florida and it is hot down here. So recording without the air conditioner is just not an option right now. So um, I'm sorry for that sound in the background if it annoys anybody. Um, in the future, and especially after we don't have to shelter in place, perhaps I will invest in something that, you know, blunts the sound or, or minimizes it or whatever but for right now i'm sorry it's just going to be there but back to the feasts um the next feast is the feast of trumpets and it's actually in the fall so you have the whole summer before you get another feast and it's interesting because even before i started this episode i didn't really put much into it um when I think about it, especially having a Western upbringing, I don't really think of the summer as being a time where people need a feast because, okay, so in the winter, the reason people love Christmas and Thanksgiving um, and all of the holidays that go in that kind of era is because the winter is depressing. I'm sorry. I'm just going to, I'm just going to be honest. It's cold. It's dreary. It's gray. The trees are dead, depending on what region you live in and people just want a reason to be happy they want to come together um, they want to celebrate and do something that makes them happy um, the lights help to hide the fact that the trees are bare the color makes up for the fact that it's so gray and dismal and this is partially why we gravitate towards these types of holidays in the spring you've been cooped up all winter and you're just you just want to go out you want to go to a picnic you want to enjoy the flowers that are blooming um but the summer is usually hot especially like i said down here in south florida it's hot i'm not really trying to go outside and just sit outside but um again from a modern western culture this is usually when you're like out of school or you're on vacation and you're out having fun so you don't really have this quote-unquote need for a holiday and so i always kind of thought of it like that like i not so much that i was actually thinking these thoughts but because this is my mentality growing up the way that i've grown up it never occurred to me that it was odd that that you have pentecost you know in this in the spring maybe in may or june ish and then you have to wait pretty much until september before the next feast it, like that really just didn't process to me at all i was just like yeah that seems normal um but i was reading a study online about it and they pointed out something that i did not think of that was really really interesting so the feasts that i've talked about so far have all been quote-unquote fulfilled prof prophetically so we can see how christ was going through the plan of salvation and fulfilling these 
prophecies. He, you know, he acted as our Passover lamb. He rose from the dead as the first fruit. He sent the Holy Spirit to come and to, um, you know, to, to give us the law and to write it in our hearts and things like that. He separated us from the leaven or the sin in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Like we see how he actively was, you know, how those feasts prophesied what he would do and how his actions fulfilled the need for those things. But the next set are the things that are yet to come. They're still part of prophecy and part of what's supposed to happen with his second coming. And so the study that I was reading, they talk about how the spring is, the summer is this long gap between when Christ sent the Holy Spirit and when he would come back. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's so profound. I didn't really think about it, but once again, God thinks about everything when he puts things into motion and when he sets things up. So now that I've read that, I can't unread it. I can't unbelieve it. Um, I fully think that that's what this whole summer situation is. That's why he didn't have a feast like every month is that this represents that weight, the weight that we're in waiting for the Messiah to come back. And so then after the long wait, you get into the fall and you have the feast of trumpets. So what is the Feast of Trumpets? It starts in verse 23. Again, we're still in Leviticus chapter 23. Verse 23, this feast was supposed to happen in the seventh month on the first day of the month. Mind you, this is the seventh month of the Israelite calendar, not our calendar. So this day, once again, was supposed to be a Sabbath. They were not supposed to do any work. Um, they were supposed to present offerings to the Lord. And there was supposed to be this ceremony, this holy convocation where they would blast the trumpets. And it's interesting because even from a secular point of view, even from our, our world, our current situation in life, when I think about a ceremony where trumpets are blaring, you know, I think about, for instance, um, old movies or like period pieces where they're introducing a king and they, you know, there's this fanfare before the king walks in. Or I think of on, you know, the complete opposite scale after like a soldier has died and they play taps, which is of course a lot more solemn and depressing. But at the same time, both signify very big things. Like you they require your full attention. You're not supposed to be, you know, goofing off or doing something else. In both cases, your focus is on whatever is being observed or commemorated. And the same thing is true about this feast. There isn't really a specific thing that where God is like, you will observe this because X, Y, Z. We don't really see... Um, the connection off the bat of how this feast ties into the Israelite experience. However, some people have pointed out that it could be represented by Jericho, which at the time that Moses is telling the Israelites, hey, these are the feasts that you're going to celebrate. This is when you're going to celebrate it. Remember, they still would not have conquered Jericho yet because they were still in the wilderness. So this would be 
a, a short-term prophecy as well as a long-term prophecy. We'll get to the long-term prophecy in a second. But um, if you remember the story of Jericho or the Battle of Jericho, the Israelites, you know, marched around the walls each day. And then on the seventh day, they marched around the wall seven times. And then they blew the trumpets and the walls fell. And so some people think that perhaps this feast is representing that moment in Israelite history and that it um, signified their victory, their first victory getting into the promised land. And I mean, like I said, there's no there's no real support that says like definitely um, I wouldn't bet your life on that. But I see why that person thinks that and it does fulfill a beautiful i mean it adds a beautiful message to it so i think it's very possible that that is what that represented as moses was telling them this um but there's also an even later prophecy that we can attach to it as well from a messianic standpoint so if you just hear the word trumpet and prophecy and messiah I'm pretty sure you could easily come to the same conclusion that I came to. And that conclusion can be found in Revelation chapters 8 through 11, where John is seeing this vision of the angels blowing the seven trumpets, basically the seven trumpets of the apocalypse. And on that last trumpet, that is when basically the end is upon us. And this is uh, reiterated in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 51 and 52 as well as 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 15 through 17. Um, it talks about how when the last trumpet is sounded the dead will arise and you know everyone will be changed. This is the resurrection, the first resurrection. There are two resurrections. We should probably talk about that. But we're not going to get into too much detail about that. But the first resurrection is for the saints, those who have believed and surrendered their life to Christ. Those are the ones who will meet Christ in the sky and will be changed and will be going into a, the everlasting life or the eternity. And so um, generally it's accepted that that is what the fulfillment or the prophetic moment of the feast of trumpets is supposed to represent so it's really exciting um personally i must say i really wish that we as christians celebrated these feasts there are denominations that do celebrate them because i think it would be beneficial to us to talk about it more often and i also think it would help to change the narrative most people are just terrified of the end of the world but for those of us who believe that will be a very happy day we will be free we will be reunited um with fellow believers everything will be good there will be no more pain there will be no more sadness it's actually a very triumphant day for god and his followers it's the end of the war like it's it's literally like if you were in um you know world war ii and you know that you are going to win the war and you're like, I don't want this war to end. I just want to stay in this war forever. Like no one would have said that. The only people who would have been like, I don't want this war to end would have been people who knew they were going to lose the war and that they were going to end up on trial for the crimes that they did during the war. 
that's Satan's team. They don't want the war to end because they know they're going to lose. But for those of us on the right side, like we really should be overjoyed. And I think celebrating these feasts would help us to get to that point. But let me keep going. I'm just I'm just a talking and we got one more feast to go over before we can conclude this episode. So the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement is discussed in Leviticus 23 verses 26 through 28. And this was on the 10th day of the seventh month. So not again, not too much far farther behind that first um, feast of the fall that it's what the first day to the 10th day. So 10 days later, you have the day of atonement and the day of atonement was also a day where they were supposed to come together. So they're supposed to be basically like a ceremony um, and they were not supposed to go to work. And then they were supposed to make an atonement before the Lord um, for the sins that they had created throughout the year. And so basically God talked about the solemnity of this particular day and this particular feast, because this is one of the ones where he's basically saying like, if the, if people don't participate in this, if they're working on this day, they should be cut off from the people. They should be destroyed. Like he was serious about what would happen on this day. And, um, you know, it's basically just a Sabbath. Like it, it doesn't really go into a whole lot of detail other than the fact that it was extremely important that they observe it. In today's society, you've probably heard the Day of Atonement called Yom Kippur or Yom Kippur, depending on how you pronounce it. Yom actually means day in Hebrew. And so it is one of the most important days of the Hebrew calendar. If you talk to someone who is Jewish, they will tell you this is a very, very important day. Even, you know, if they're not super, this would be like the one day you're like, yes, I, I have to do this. I have to um, celebrate this. And this was basically when people are throwing themselves at the mercy of God. They're saying, you know, please forgive me. And it, it, it's a day of repentance. And of course, we are guaranteed that God will forgive us. And so generally speaking, people think that the fulfillment in terms of salvation and prophecy is the second coming of Christ. And it makes sense that there's so little time between um, the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement if you look at it as the last trumpet and the return of Christ, because these are supposed to happen almost instantaneously, right? So th these should be happening in succinct succession. The, you know, dead are raised. They're meeting Christ in the sky. Christ has to be coming back for them to be meeting him in the sky. I mean, we wouldn't want to be hanging out in the sky for like days, weeks, months, just chilling, waiting for him to come back. So obviously he would be arriving at the same time, we would be ascending into the sky to meet him. So the feasts happen fairly close together. And um, this is the moment where everyone is truly saved. We've all we've thrown ourselves at the mercy beforehand, hopefully, 
Um, but now he is coming to accept our repentance, so to speak. So I think that, you know, like I've been saying, these are very beautiful feasts. They're very important. Um, and I want to continue discussing them in the next episode. We have one more feast that is part of this whole plan of salvation and discussion of what happened historically versus what was happening, you know, for us in terms of salvation. And then we have the two extra feasts that were kind of tacked on based on other things that happened. So next time we will talk about the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the final feast that God gave them while they were in the wilderness. And then we will talk about Purim or Purim. I'm not really sure how you pronounce that. I'll figure it out before the next episode. And we will talk about Hanukkah. So those will be our next three feasts. And then we will be uh, moving on to a new topic. So have a good week. Stay sane. Stay safe. Don't forget to drop me a message about your opinions about whether or not you want to hear about COVID-19 or anything else you feel like leaving me a message about. Don't forget to subscribe. You can find uh, the show notes for this episode on the website as always. And I will talk to you guys next week. Bye.